0: Welcome to Essential Ethics, your gateway to discussion about the ethics of medical treatment for sick children. This podcast is brought to you by the Children's Bioethics Centre at the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne. I am your host, John Massey, clinical lead of the Children's Bioethics Centre. This episode is part of our series called The Ethics Toolkit. When treating sick children and their families, clinicians are sometimes faced with challenging ethical situations. This series explores how bioethicists help clinicians address these challenges. One of the very challenging situations in clinical ethics is when parents and doctors disagree. Parents may refuse recommended treatment Or, they may request treatments or investigations that the doctors do not consider indicated. To understand how doctors and parents might be in conflict is to recognise that doctors no longer have exclusive access to medical information. And parents are connected all over the country, and all over the world. We also practice in an environment in which we give greater consideration to parent choices, and involve parents in the care of their children. This is shared decision-making, which will be the subject of another podcast in the series. And we follow, where possible, the practice of child and family-centered care, also another podcast in our series. This conflation of technological and societal and ethical practice works well most of the time. But then there are the other times. Sometimes they're small issues and sometimes they're very big issues. To help resolve these situations, or even to head conflict off at the past, the team at the Children's Bioethics Centre at the Royal Children's Hospital have developed a tool called the Zone of Parental Discretion. Well, when I say we, it's really been our academic director, Professor Lynn Gillam, who has advanced the concept of the Zone of Parental Discretion. So it's my great pleasure to say that today's podcast is brought to you by the letter Z. And to welcome to Essential Ethics Professor Lynn Gillum, Academic Director of the Children's Bioethics Centre and Professor of Ethics at the University of Melbourne School of Population and Global Health. Welcome, Lynn.
1: Thanks, John. Good to be with you again.
0: Lynn, you're laughing because I use the word or the letter Z.
1: That is correct. Can I suggest that we use the letter Z? Well,
0: you can see in Essential Ethics, we get straight to the big issues from the start. Lynn, could you just tell us? Uh, what is the zone of parental discretion?
1: So, John, the idea of the zone of parental discretion is that parents have what we might think of as a legally protected and ethically protected space in which they can make decisions which they feel are right for their children without interference from the outside. So it's literally a place of discretion for parents to make decisions for their children.
0: Lynn, we're going to explore a lot of the concepts underpinning the, the zone of parental discretion. But I, I certainly would say, and I, and I think many of the listeners who who've from Royal Children's who've thought about it and heard of the zone have actually used it and found it very helpful. But how, how did it evolve and how did it develop?
1: Mm. So interestingly, John, this is not an idea that came from above and it didn't come from book reading. So it developed over a a number of years, I guess, out of our experience of providing the clinical ethics service at the children's hospital and hearing about lots of situations in which doctors and parents disagreed and working through in detail each of those cases and trying to figure out what is the question we're asking ourselves here and how do we decide
0: what to do when
1: there's this disagreement. So it arose very practically to meet a need
0: that was there. So it's a very experiential uh, concept, really. Absolutely, and it grew organically. When you say it, not something from book learning, having said that, you've actually put it into into book mm. for learning. And so uh, just a quick plug for a book from the Children's Bioethics Service, When Doctors and Parents uh, Disagree, Ethics, Paediatrics and the Zone of Parental Discretion, which goes into a lot more depth. Lynn, one of the ways we think about decision-making in children, and I guess ethicists get involved because there's conflict often, not always, is that best interests come up and say, well this is straightforward we know what the best interest for this child is and often even in the courts that's what the judiciary will say, well what the best interest for the child is is so and so but my sense is that that doesn't always work and the answer isn't as simple as as that.
1: So that was exactly our experience in doing these clinical ethics case consultations where there was a disagreement between parents and doctors. We started with that question, okay, so there's disagreement. We'll just figure out what's in the best interests of the child and that will be the right thing to do. But as we tried to do that in all of these different cases, as you say, it turns out not to be so easy to identify what is in the best interests Of a child. That's a really complex concept which has a subjective element. And we would often go round and round in circles trying to figure out what is the best for this child. And ultimately found ourselves saying, well, maybe we can't actually specify what's best for this child really clearly, but we could at least say whether or not what the parents want is harmful to the child. So we opened up a bit more space. To say, okay, there's room for reasonable disagreement here. It's hard to really specify, but let's worry about not harming the child rather than doing what's absolutely the maximal best for the child.
0: Lynn, do you think the the problem with with the best interests is that there might be two best interests? So there might be a construct or perhaps even a narrative written by the medical team, for example, of what their conception of the best interests, and then the parent might have a different construct. Mm. And so this is what a a clash of values, perhaps?
1: Yes, it is to some extent a clash of values, because if you think about the idea of the best interests of a child, that's really the idea of what makes a good life for a child or the best life. For a child And obviously there's a lot of factual elements in there and there will be a lot of medical facts that feed into that. But it is ultimately a question of value what sort of life is good for your child and there will just be different views about that. I mean that's really the, the, the beauty of the society in which we live we not just accept but in, in many ways celebrate different ways of living a good life. and that's exactly one of the reasons why settling on our best interests as a matter of fact. It doesn't really work.
0: I mean I, I also think that perhaps Lynn, you know we're working here in the medical environment and so we can see best interests in terms of our environment that's here, but we don't see the kid when they're well, very often or for a brief period, or really see what their life's like at home.
1: Yes, yeah, so if we think a little bit more about the idea of interests, we've got to notice that that's a plural. So, children have more than one interest, as indeed do adults. So, interests are things that make your life go well. And a person's life goes well in multiple different ways. Some of them are physical and they're related very much to medicine and healthcare and your body working well. But your life needs to go well socially, emotionally, in relation to relationships, personal development and growth. And for children in particular, family relationships are such a crucial part of that. So what makes a child's life go well is very much influenced by whether their family life is going well. It's not just their physical capacities.
0: And, i are thinking, you know, if we think of best interests, and you've referred to a couple, but, you know, we're probably thinking, you know, easily six or eight or ten might be, and that the same decision might affect those best interests or those interests differently, advancing some more than others.
1: Yes, that's exactly the way to understand it. So if we have a range of interests and uh, various psychologists and, and ethicists have tried to identify a list of children's interests, and in fact the idea of children's rights, which you see in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, can be understood as a list of interests. So there are multiple, and any particular course of action might advance some interests more than others might advance some and set back others. So it's always going to be a balancing.
0: Yes. And I think that, I guess, is the beauty of, of, of ethics and, and the work that we do in the Children's Bioethics Centre is trying to get that balance. But the decisions are complex. So, Lin, in one of your earlier statements, you talked about harm. So I think you know we can see that best interests isn't the single thing that we can aim for, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. So what about harm? Now, there is a thing called the harm principle, which has been advanced by Doug Dekema in the United States. And so that sets a threshold that's much lower. So we're always thinking as paediatricians, we're working to a best interest and doing the best mm-hmm. for the kid. But actually, perhaps what we're doing is just working to a lower mm-hmm. level. So isn't, is that just what the zone is, in a sense, is just a, a, the harm principle?
1: Look, it's related to the harm principle and the harm principle is a really important idea which addresses the question of when should health professionals take legal action, go to court in order to intervene to stop parents doing something or to make them do something related to their child. So it is setting a lower threshold, I guess, and saying this is the point at which it's so bad that it's appropriate to go to court to intervene against the parents. The zone of parental discretion has a similar idea, but is not necessarily addressing when to go to court. It's thinking more broadly about all the ways in which doctors can influence parents' decisions and decide whether or not, or to what extent, to act in accord with parents'
0: decisions. So in fact, it might be that the zone is avoiding that need to go to to court or trying to stay above, if you like, the harm threshold for for state intervention.
1: Yes, certainly one of the features of the zone of parental discretion is that it asks us to think about not only what would be the effect on the child of the parents' decisions, but also what would be the effect on the child of having to go to court to intervene. Because as our listeners can imagine, making a child protection notification or seeking a court order is going to be a really difficult experience for the family, um, can break down relationships, cause lots of difficulty for the child. So avoiding getting to that point would be preferable if we could manage it.
0: So that comes back to that broader range of interests of the child, harmonious family relationships, even relationship with the healthcare provider are all somewhere in their interests. But there is a a flaw, isn't there, at which you say enough might be enough?
1: Yes. So if you think of a child with asthma, John, that's not being very well managed at home, now that child medically might be better off in a different family who is perfect at asthma management but that means the child will be not with their mother and father and siblings. They'll be in a different family where they might be loved and cared for, but it's not their family. So it's not just their physical interests that matters. It's all of their interests. And as we've said before, so much about what makes life good for a child is being in their family.
0: All right, Lynn. So as we're just trying to conceptualise the zone then, there's another zone that's talked about, and Dominic Wilkinson, who's at Oxford, talks about the grey zone of, of medical uncertainty. Do you think that's what the zone is, our zone uh, is?
1: Again, it's related but not the same. So the, the grey zone of medical uncertainty, and Dom is speaking specifically in the context of very premature babies, it really says there's medical uncertainty about what would be best in this situation and in relation to these premature babies it's the question of whether it would actually be a good thing to attempt to resuscitate this very premature baby and save their life or would it be better to actually let them pass away peacefully without resuscitation attempts and the, the this gray zone of medical uncertainty says look there's not enough medical evidence and the medical evidence we have is equivocal it could go either way so even doctors can't see medically what's best in that circumstance. But the zone of parental discretion is broader than that. It says even when there is a clear medical best option, it still might be ethically acceptable for parents to choose differently on the grounds that the medical is not the only thing that matters. So perhaps if I could give you an example of that. Uh, a child who has a a form of anemia that's normally um, managed with steroids to a certain point uh, where a blood transfusion is then required, and that would be required ongoing for optimal management. And uh, one of the problems about the steroid treatment is that it um, reduces the child's height. So we had some parents a number of years ago who didn't want to have blood transfusions for their child and they wanted to stay on um, the steroid treatment. Now, the steroid treatment is perfectly acceptable in terms of managing the anemia, would do just as good a job as the blood transfusion. Um, The only problem was that continuing with the steroid treatment would mean that their child would end up a number of centimetres shorter than otherwise if they trans if they moved over to the blood transfusion. We can come back to the question of why height matters and why it's better t-
0: <laughs> We could, John, we couldn't could, we, for we those could of listeners, us? You uh, may not know no, 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 that there is a, a somewhat height disparity between uh, between Lynn and, and, and myself.
1: <laughs> but let's just accept for the moment the taller is better, medically speaking in some way. Um, so if you accept that, then clearly it's better to go with the the medical recommendation, move to the blood transfusion. Parents did not want to do that. The question is whether it's harmful to the child. That's what matters, not whether it's in the child's best interest, but these parents have a view about how they want to raise their child, what medical treatments they think are acceptable. Do we really think it would be so harmful to the child that they lose a few centimetres? in height, that we would, for example, go to court and get an order or notify child protection to enforce these blood transfusions. The zone of parental discretion would suggest, no, it's not. Even if it's medically clear, what's best?
0: So I think you're also describing there, Lynn, that there's not necessarily a, a great difference between the choices on offer.
1: So in that case, there wasn't a great difference. No.
0: And, and so that there's greater discretion towards towards parents' values mm. there. And it highlights the trade-offs, isn't it? And and this is the trade-offs with the various interests. Exactly. What might advance some and uh, not advance the others or, or make some worse. But then we've got to try and sum all of those.
1: But sometimes the, the differences are much more stark. And in this situation, had it been the case that steroids had stopped working and blood transfusion was the only way to keep that child alive, then there's much greater difference between the two options. And if we ask the question, would the child be harmed by not having the blood transfusion? If the answer is that they will die without blood transfusion, then yes, the child would clearly be harmed.
0: Lynn, just coming back to the, that, the grey zone of medical uncertainty, I think one of the issues in there is that the facts may be quite clear. So it's a sort of disagreement agreement about other things then and you know one of the situations that I've been involved with and I guess because that grey zone of medical uncertainty comes predominantly out of the newborn intensive care nursery you know with an infant for example I've been involved with who's born at 24 weeks gestation it's really where we would start to offer a resuscitation and treatment knowing that there's a high mortality and then along the way it becomes apparent that the child will have significant morbidity. So there may be a serious brain bleed would be the commonest cause uh, there. And then there may be a range of interpretations of what that might mean in terms of the degree of morbidity, the degree of impairment. And some physicians might consider that that's too much for a child and other physicians might say, well, that's all right, that degree of disability. So potentially bringing their own values Mm to there. The facts are fairly clear, at least, in the sense that there will be serious Mm. uh, morbidity. Do you think then that the zone of parental discretion is able to help because it then is able to draw the parents into the decision-making?
1: So I guess one of the, the key things about the zone of parental discretion is that it does take really seriously the idea that parents have a particular both ethical and legal claim to be the decision makers for their child. So they're in a different position from doctors. Doctors have medical knowledge and expertise and experience. Doctors, as you pointed out, also have their own values and ideas about what's a good life. But the parents are the parents of this child and that gives them an ethically special situation. The zone of parental discretion wants to recognise that. So in that sense, I guess doctors and parents are not sitting equally in relation to the child. The default is the parents have the say, unless their say is so detrimental to the child that we shouldn't follow it through. So yes, the zone of parental discretion helps us a lot here. I think it says, okay, it's with the parents, unless there's a good reason for it not to be. But it also allows the idea that parents will have their own understanding of what is a good life, good enough life for their child, what will work for their child within their family. Um, And on things like intellectual disability, people just have really different views based on different values about what sort of life one can have with intellectual disability and how good that life is. It's not surprising, perhaps, that doctors tend to see that intellectual disability as a very major problem because doctors' whole life is about intellectual capacity. But that's not the only way to live. It's not the only good way to live.
0: Lynn, it seems though that, so therefore the zone helps us. So we started with actually parents and doctors disagreeing, but it might be over to the parents. So there isn't a known, necessarily a known Mm -hmm. best path. There might be known facts, but not a known best path. I think the other aspect of that, of course, is it is the parents left holding the baby. So I think that gives them ethical, moral weight in terms of decision-making, because they're the ones who have to then do the hard work.
1: Mm. Yes, John, you're quite right that that's one of the reasons why parents have that special legal and ethical status here, is that uh, not only is this their child, but this will continue to be their child and their family, and they will need to live with and bring up the child in the context of whatever has been decided.
0: Lynn we've been thinking about parental decision-making, and you've mentioned the concept a few times of parents as the natural and legal decision-makers for their children. And of course, in the zone of parental discretion, it's all about medical decision-making. But I'd just like to step out of that for a second, because I think that's helpful to think about. There's a whole range of decisions that parents make for their children, what what clothes they're going to wear, uh, what schools they're going to go to, um, and all sorts of other decisions, and have to take into account all of the family so therefore, optimising the individual that who is my patient doesn't take into account the siblings.
1: Mm. So, John, I think that's another important aspect of uh, understanding the zone of parental discretion is that it really recognises that uh, parents are parents of a family. They may have one child, but they have, may have a number of children. The way families work is to balance the interests of all of the family members to try and get a good family life. But on the whole, families don't work by prioritising one child over the other. There has to be a balancing. Doctors, on the other hand, or health professionals more broadly, focus on the child patient in front of them. So they just are in a different position from parents.
0: But I think also, Lynn, parents don't have to choose the single option that's best. So they don't have, you know, if you consider that private school might be better than public school, that's obviously very contested, but they're not obliged to choose that. They may, we, we agree kids should go to school, but they may, and we believe being at school live for lots of kids or most kids, is perhaps better than doing it at home. But they're allowed to do it. They're allowed to be educated at home, which many might see as missing out on some of the other benefits of school. So I guess there's a range of decisions that parents make. They don't have to buy the safest, most expensive car on the road to take their kids around if they don't have to buy a car at all. However, however, I guess it's an example of, of where outside of medicine, parents are making a range of choices and they don't have to be totally the best choice, just a good enough choice for the safety of their child and the interests of the whole family.
1: Yep, that's a key message of the zone of parental discretion. Parents do not have an ethical obligation to absolutely maximise the well-being of their child, for example, to sacrifice their own interests completely for the sake of the child, or even to do things in a way that are known to be absolutely the best. Uh, and as you point out, when you look around at all the decisions that parents make for a child outside healthcare, we give parents wide discretion. Yes, children have to have an education. They don't have to go to school. We don't specify what sort of school it is. Parents should feed their child, but we don't within broad bounds specify what they should feed them. Um, We encourage parents to involve their children in sporting activities. And then when they take them skiing, which is really risky, we don't stop them from doing that. So there's a huge amount of discretion that we allocate to parents outside the healthcare setting. The idea of zone of parental discretion is bringing at least some of that into the healthcare setting.
0: And I think somewhere in our decision-making concepts for, for children in healthcare are limits to parental authority, though, and and people, Buchanan and Brock have talked about that in their book, Deciding for Others, and Laney Friedman-Ross has talked about that in her construct, which is constrained parental authority. How do you sort of view that in terms of the parents' decision-making for their children? Mm,
1: that constrained parental authority is really what we're talking about, that parents' authority or... Um, ethical claim to be the decision maker and to make particular decisions is recognised but within some limits or constraints. And I guess the contested thing is exactly where those constraints are. So we've been talking about the idea that it's not at the point of the perfect, absolute maximum best interests. It's further out from that. But there's always going to be a bit of grey around exactly how far it extends.
0: Yes, I sense even harm principle isn't at very fine line. There's, it, it, it can be contested itself.
1: Absolutely. And it has to be because harm still is a concept of interests. And you're harmed when your interests are set back so much that we label that harm. But there's still subjectivity around that. I guess when parents' decision is going to cause the death of their child, that looks like a really clear-cut instance of harm. But if parents' decision is going to cause their child, for example, to have a limp that the child wouldn't otherwise have, but that child will be well, grow into adulthood, have a normal life with a limp that they could have avoided having. So is that harm or not? Actually, that's not an easy question to answer.
0: We're not here to answer easy questions, Lynn Gillen. That's right, John Messi. Lynn, one of the things that I've always struggled with since I've been involved in ethics that you write about is that the parents' motivations or their reasons for their decision-making are not necessarily relevant. Mm. Could you explain? Explain that a bit more to me.
1: Yes, I'll have a go at explaining that. And I have been called upon to explain this a number of times, and my explanations have shifted a bit over time. So let me start with what I took to be the key point to begin with. In saying that the parents' motivations or reasons for their decision are not relevant to the question of whether we should go against their decision or not. I was wanting in particular to say that the key thing is not, for example, whether it's a religious decision. So When Jehovah's Witness parents refuse blood transfusion for the child, our question is not, or shouldn't be, uh, are religious beliefs rational? Um, Do these parents really believe this? Have they really thought it through? Um, We could go round and round in circles on that. But the thing that actually matters is what's going to be the impact on the child. That's what matters. Uh, And likewise, if parents have alternative health beliefs and feel that, blood transfusions work against the natural body, or if, for example, they're extremely well-informed and know that there's a potential risk of infection in the blood supply, all of those reasons are not the most important thing. The most important thing is what's the impact on the child. However, the nature of the parent's reasons tell you something about the extent to which you can talk with, negotiate, persuade parents. And before, I guess, going with a parent's decision that will be suboptimal for the child in some way, all of that negotiating and persuading should happen. But if you think about the religious reason, you know beforehand that there's not going to be a way to persuade parents that their religious belief doesn't apply in this situation or you're going to change their religious beliefs. So you can see there's a limit to what you can achieve by those rational attempts at rational persuasion.
0: So I think we can then try and leave the, the contest of values out and and try and concentrate, in this case, on the facts. Those are the examples you've presented. Yeah. I think, though, it's interesting, though, as made me reflect, that the flexibility of the zone is also about parents requesting a treatment. So, you know, a common one, you mentioned alternative health practices, and so it may be a series of vitamins or, or or herbal extracts that we're not going to... I don't know anything about, for example, Mm. but I'm asked to prescribe or... or, Particularly when kids are in hospital, different outside, we have less control over that. And I sense that the the zone of parental discretion, if we are confident there's no harms Mm. from those Mm. to the child, then... Then why not? Yes. Then why not? And in a sense, we're promoting family and child-centred care, shared decision-making... And so it can be a useful tool to foster that relationship.
1: Absolutely. And I think fundamentally the thing we're promoting is parents' capacity to do their most important job, which is to look after their child. So that's the ethical job of parents is to do their best to give their child a good life. And we want to encourage parents in that. So before we step in and say, no, you've made a mistake, you're wrong do something different. We need to have a good reason and that reason would be that what they're planning to do would be harmful for the child. So if parents want to give vitamin supplements while their child's in hospital, if we know that that's not going to be harmful to the child, then there's no reason to
0: stop them. So what about the child that comes with headaches and and the parents demand a CAT scan of the head. Now, we've talked about that a little bit in one of our earlier mm. podcasts in Classic Conundrums and mm. explored a little bit in the book, but I think it's, it's it's not an uncommon scenario. So sometimes parents will request things and
1: investigations is an example of that, but sometimes it's also medical treatments, new experimental drugs, for example, which the parents know about, and doctors involved in the care of that child believe that that won't be beneficial to the child, in fact, are are wondering whether it might be harmful. But the zone of parental discretion applies the same way. The the question is whether it's a request or a refusal. The basic question is what's going to be the impact on the child. For some requests for particular forms of treatment, there's this additional thing about what resources it would take to fulfil that request. So if parents are requesting a really expensive drug, which the hospital would have to pay for, that's a significant impact and a reason in itself not to go with the parent's request. But if what the parents are requesting is minimal impact on resources, and I guess also would not leave the health professional staff involved feeling as if they'd done something terrible to the child, then there's less reason in that relation to
0: say no. I mean, you're raising that issue you know, of professional in, in integrity mm. that's sometimes offended by parental yep. uh, requests. And of course, some requests are just way off the mm. the, the ballpark, the knee x-ray for the headache, of course, yes. it is ridiculous. Yep. But um, the, the CT for the headache, you can see that there's a relationship there and mm. uh, potential, you know, utility in some circumstances, although, of course, sometimes acquiescing to the parent's wishes might just buy into uh, missing the mark in terms of what we're talking about is parental anxiety that may need addressing either at the same time, Mm. or it may be that there's a limit to what can be acquiesced to before we really see those...
1: Yes, and often those situations are really complicated in terms of what might be the consequences of following a pathway of acceding to parents' requests. So we do need to bear that in mind. But it is also important to look at each one and say, if we did this, what would be the impact on the child? That's the most important question. And then if we did this, what would be the impact on the resources that are available in the healthcare system for other children?
0: So Lynn, we've we've covered quite a lot of territory here, and and I guess it might be easy for people outside when you first hear of the zone of parental discretion. I know I had this I'll just share with you, I did have this casual thought, which which was, well, these are just a bunch of Aussies and this is, you know, near enough is good enough, she'll be right type attitude to, to, to medical ethics. But I, I think what we've done is 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 explore sort of the origins, which were experiential, but, you know, covered best interests and harm and a grey zone of medical uncertainty, parents' decision-making across a range of non-medical decisions and limitation of parental authority. So I think that there is quite a strong theoretical basis to the zone. In your paper, you actually write down three very key theoretical basis. Would you like just to share those with us? Because I think that sort of starts to pull that uh, together, the three key theories, really, that underpin. Yeah,
1: sure. So so just to summarise, and these are, are, as you say, the ethical foundations of the zone of parental discretion. The first is that parents have an ethical claim to be the default decision makers. The second is that parents do not have an obligation to absolutely maximise the best interests of an individual child in their family. The third is that there is a limit on what parents have authority to decide, and that limit lies at the point where the child will be harmed by the parent's decision, uh, not merely given an experience which is less than perfect.
0: So, then, when we're trying to apply the zone, and we've had some really good examples through, through the podcast, there's a couple of stages that you might go through as you build up the the case as it were the the claim as to something might be in the zone of ethical uh, of zone of parental discretion do you want to share th- those stages and mm. some of those perhaps there's five key questions that we sure. might be asking
1: so in the first stage you're asking about the decision what actually is it the parents want. And that's an important question to ask because it's not necessarily clear, and we do need to know that they have good information about what the options are, what's possible, and what the consequences would be of each of those. So first is, what actually do the parents want? Second is, what would be the impact of doing that on the child? Third question is, would that impact be so bad that it counts as harm to the child, not simply a suboptimal effect. So that's the first set of questions. If at the end of that you get to the point where you're saying, okay, if we did what the parents wanted, that would constitute harm, then prima facie there's a a reason to go against the parents' wishes. Now, how to do that is a question in itself. Sometimes there's no need to involve courts. There's no need to involve child protection Doctors such as yourself can draw themselves up to their full height and say, no, we won't do that, that is not okay, and that will be enough. So there's no need to go to court. If that's not going to be sufficient, or if the parents can't be additionally persuaded or, I guess, directed in various ways, and you need to take legal steps to intervene and stop the parents' uh, acting on their decision. Then there's an additional questions to ask, which would be, what would be the effect on the child of taking those steps to override the parent's decision? So is this child likely to end up being taken away from their parents, for example, like the child with asthma that I was talking about before? Is it possible that the parents will take the child and essentially go into hiding? And there are a number of instances where that has happened where parents have actually taken their child out of hospital and gone off somewhere and completely severed connection with the healthcare system. And that's clearly really bad for the child. So if it's likely that there might be negative impacts on the child from seeking to override the parent's decision, then we've got to balance up those two negatives. Bad things might happen to the child if we follow the parent's decision. Bad things might happen to the child if we try to override the parent's decision, which is worse? So it asks us to consider not just the impact on the child of the parent's decision, but the impact on the child of attempting to go against the parent's decision.
0: I think that gives us quite a lot of leeway in trying to support the parents and, and trying to get the decision for the child that's going to be best for it. For everybody. Lynn, one of the criticisms of the zone of parental discretion is that it completely leaves out the the voice of the child. How how do you sort of respond to that Mm. criticism?
1: In, In a couple of ways, John. I guess the first is the point of the zone of parental discretion is, in effect, to carve out for parents a space that's ethically theirs to be the decision maker rather than leaving all of the decision making with health professionals. It's about health professionals and parents. That's the interaction that the zone of parental discretion is addressing. Sitting in the background of that is, I guess, an expectation that parents' views about what's best for their child will be connected with what they know about their child and what they can see their child it cares about and worries about and what makes a good life for their child. So in that sense the child is not excluded even though they're not uh, in the way we've talked about the zone of parental discretion uh, very explicitly moved in. And on that basis the other point really is that the question of the weight of the child's wishes and the extent to which a child should have a voice in medical decision making is another issue that we should talk about in another podcast, and would lead us into some complicated territory where parents and children disagree.
0: And they're really uh, difficult. And I think you're right, Lynn. I think we we perhaps need a different model uh, for that, but lots of similar ethical uh, underpinning Mm. um, for that. Lynn, thank you very much for that discussion about what I think is an ethical tool that is gaining traction, not just from here and around Australia, and I even think worldwide from some of my discussions. So it's something I think you should be very proud about, pulling that together. And so what I what I think that we've covered today is the zone of parental discretion is a good tool for situations of disagreement between parents and doctors, and sometimes even between doctors and doctors, perhaps. So it's flexible to deal with both treatments, uh, refusals and inappropriate requests, that it gives us a broad interpretation of children's interests, and particularly thinking of the child within the family. It considers the parents as natural and legal decision makers, it still leaves them some judgement as a tool, seems to rely less on the subjective nature of individual judgments, and I think in lots of cases makes it easier to solve ethical dilemmas.
1: And I guess that's the important practical point for us. We have found in our experience that it makes it easier to resolve some of these situations where doctors and parents disagree.
0: Well, thank you very much, and I hope you'll come back to Essential Ethics. There's more to talk about, John. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the team at Essential Ethics. This podcast was made possible by the generous support of the friends of the Children's Bioethics Centre Auxiliary. The podcast was recorded in the Creative Services Studio at the Royal Children's Hospital. It was produced in conjunction with Wavelength Creative. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review and tell your colleagues. If you would like to know more about the activities of the Children's Bioethics Centre at the Royal Children's Hospital, Visit our website at www.rch.org.au forward slash bioethics. Essential ethics, be inspired.